Heavenly Father, um, I, I pray that you would uh, be with me as I as I share your word this morning. Help me to um, preach uh, preach the gospel faithfully. Help me to come back over and over again to kind of the core of of what Peter is saying in our text this morning. I pray that you would be with the folks who are here and help them to hear from you. Um, help them to know you more by hearing the word preached. And and Lord God, I pray that you would uh, just plant seeds deep in their hearts. Um, just the, the seed of the, the gospel, Lord, that it would grow into a great harvest. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh, I am a procrastinator. It's great that my wife is the one who laughed loudest at that. Uh, I, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I am, uh, I am a procrastinator. I, I uh, have discovered, and actually I only realized this recently, that when I'm given a task to do, the first thing I ask myself is, what is the deadline? And then the second thing is, when's the latest I can start working on this? Um, when I was in college, uh, I, I took a, a Greek class. Um, and actually, this I was a pre-seminary student. My intent was to go to seminary and be a pastor like very quickly after finishing college. And I, I took this Greek class. And, and there's a thing about languages, especially ones that don't use like real letters, they had little drawings, you know, instead of letters. The you actually have to learn them. Like you can't kind of fake your way through it. And and I remember like just not working and not memorizing and not putting the effort in and not. And I would just think, well, there's time next week. There's time later, or I'll just work on it later on tonight. And and every time I would say that, I would get to the later on tonight or tomorrow or to next week, and I would say. Oh, there's still plenty of time. I can learn this stuff. And then the night before the final exam, which was like 80% of the grade, I, I started looking at the syllabus. I say started on purpose. And I realized I was in a lot of trouble because I, I knew the alphabet. I had memorized that. So I had preschool-level Greek nailed down, and that was it. And, and I, I looked at it. And I said, well, there's just no way I'm going to learn this. Like, I, that's just they should have given me more time. Um, and, and I remember I sat down the night before, um, um, and I, I looked at what the requirements were, and a third of the test was translation. And all of the translation was right out of the textbook. So I sat down right after dinner, and I memorized every sentence in the book. Like, I could not read a word of Greek, but I could look at a sentence and tell you, this is what it says with exact punctuation. Um, and actually, I, I got that part of the test perfect. Like, I, I got a perfect score on that portion of the test. The rest of the test was a <laughs> train wreck. The average student took two hours to take the test. I finished it in eight minutes. Want to guess how I did in Greek? <laughs> Not good. And it actually put off that plan um, by ten years, I think. I didn't end up going to seminary until more. You think so? Wow. I didn't go to seminary until, what, 15 years later, maybe. Um, because I, I didn't, I didn't learn Greek. Um, and I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Um, what we're going to be looking at in, um, in Peter's epistle here, Peter is writing to this group and he is addressing this false teaching that's going on. And what, what's happening here is there are a group of folks in this church who are saying, Christ is never coming back. You will never, ever, ever have to face him. There will be no accountability, so you can do whatever you want with the rest of your life. And they were basically teaching, like, 
like loose living and being, you know, wild partying and stuff like that. And Peter is writing against it. And at this point in the letter, he begins to dig into this idea that, hey, Christ is coming back. There's going to be a day when, when everything comes due, right? And, and the funny thing about it is, like we, I mean, we're thousands of years later. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus said it very plainly that he was coming back. And Peter kind of argues out the point here. But it is one of those things that because it seems distant, you can always put it off. You know what I mean? Anybody have a project around the house that you need to do? That you keep saying, well, I don't need to do it right now. There's always tomorrow. And the trick with that is tomorrow never comes. I know folks who have cars sitting in their garage. They say, I'm going to restore that car one day. Really? How long has it been there? 40 years, but I'm going to do it. Right? Um, Put it off. Put it off. Put it off. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with it tomorrow. And Peter is presenting a very different message here. He's presenting a message of urgency. Um, So real quick, this is Peter's second letter. This is probably written about 60, 62 A.D. Um, It's a few years before he's executed, but it's one of the last things he, like it's toward the very end of his life. Um, He's writing to to a group of churches in Asia Minor. um, And in the previous section, he talks about I'm going to die soon. Like, it's been revealed to me. I'm going to be executed. And we know under Nero's reign that Peter was arrested, imprisoned, and then crucified, right, upside down. Um, and, and he says, I know it's coming. Um, and so I'm writing to you with the very last things I have. And it's in a literary form called a testament. You know, that's where we get that last will and testament, like the, the literary form is ancient. And he sort of explains everything that's important to know about his life. Um, this false teaching, again, these are people who are denying the second coming. I think I talked about this in the first week and I got it wrong. Um, I, I realized I made that mistake and so I'm correcting myself. Nobody remembers. Um, but I got the nature of the false teaching wrong the first time I preached about this. So I own it. I was wrong. Um, so diving into the text here, we're in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. We're going to go through verse 21, relatively short. And so Peter has finished up his like testament. He's saying, like, like this last section, I'm going, to, I'm going to go, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to go be with Jesus. Like, you guys need to take this seriously, do it now. Um, and so Peter jumps in here, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories, when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, we're going to do this bit by bit because there's a lot here, and it's a tough text um, if you don't take it slow. So he says, listen, this is not a collection of stories that are cleverly made up. This isn't just a bunch of fairy tales that we pulled out of the air. And actually, that's one of the cool things about Christianity as a religion. It is unique in the sense that Peter and Paul and John and James, they're writing about a guy they knew, right? I mean, it's not like that's one of those things you see, you know, argued a lot of times. Oh, well, Christianity is no different than the Greek mythology, you know, like Zeus. Well, you generally don't see anybody say, well, hey, the other day I was hanging out with Zeus and he did this. No, like these are they're saying, I knew this guy. And they're actually like this teaching and this preaching was in areas. A lot of times like the church started in Jerusalem and was there for a number of years. Like the core leadership was there for like decades. And these folks were saying, hey, um, 
Jesus, remember that Jesus guy that you knew? Remember that Jesus guy that you crucified? Remember that Jesus guy that you, you know, that, that rose from the dead? Like, you remember that guy? They were talking about somebody that everybody knew. And because he had traveled all over the country and had a huge following, people knew who he was. And so he says, listen, we're not doing this with made-up stories. People saw this happen. Um, and this is a recurring theme in, in early Christian literature. I'm going to jump over to Corinthians. This is Paul speaking. Or writing. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he, was, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so he says, listen, I'm not just telling you a story. I'm not just making up a fairy tale. I'm not just telling you something I invented out of whole cloth. If you don't believe me, ask these guys, right? I, I have a bad habit of telling my wife stories that may or may not be true. And, and I do this because I kind of like tricking her because I think it's funny. And, and recently I was out with the kids. I don't even remember what this story was, but, but something happened to us and I came home and I told my wife the story and she said, that didn't happen. And I was like, no, no, honey, it really happened. Let me, you know, I, believe me. And she says, no, that didn't happen. And so I got Josh and I got Abby and I got Titus to all come into her office and say, guys, did this happen? Oh no, it happened. And, and then she was forced to believe me <laughs> because I had witnesses to corroborate what I was saying. And kind of what Peter is doing here, he's saying, listen, there are folks who will hear the story of Christ. They will hear the story of Christ coming. They'll hear the miracles. They'll hear the feeding of the 5,000. They'll hear about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they'll say, this is nonsense. But we saw it. And if you don't believe me, ask this guy. If you don't believe me, ask this guy. This is not just something we invented. This is something we witnessed. Um, and so... He kind of like like he's about to talk about something else, and actually he touches on it briefly. And I want to kind of um, we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. Now, in almost in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's this story, and it's a weird story, right? It's one that I didn't understand for years and years. I would read it and be like, "Well, that's all right." Which is, I don't know, I guess that's kind of cool. What, what does it mean? What's the purpose? And Peter touches on it here. And watch this. This is the story of the transfiguration. Have you all ever heard this? Um, he is, they're with Jesus, and Jesus has just told them, hey, we're heading to the cross. This, this story is ending with me being crucified. This is heading in a hard and difficult direction. And then in the next chapter, and he said to them, truly I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before you see the, the kingdom of God has come with power. And he's referring to this thing that's about to happen. 
After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love this in parentheses. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. So they're there on the mountain. Jesus is suddenly like raised up and he's like turns bright white and they're blinded and his face shines. And there's, you know, Moses who is like Moses is is like the George Washington of the Jewish faith. I mean, he is he is the man. They they loved Moses. He was a rock star and uh, I mean, he was it for these guys. And the fact that Moses appears on one side and Elijah, who is kind of the Abraham Lincoln, I mean, these guys are huge figures of the time. They're a big deal. They appear on either side of Jesus in front of the apostles and they're like, wow, look at Jesus in all his glory. Look at him with these, you know, super awesome guys who are on either side. Like, wow, look at this. And Peter says, I have no idea what to say, but I don't know how better say something. Anybody ever feel like that and you say something really dumb? Which is kind of what Peter does here. <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, let's build a house here for you guys, and you can hang out here forever. And uh, <laughs> the cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they lo- no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, watch this. This transfiguration, it's, I mean, it's kind of a weird story, right? Just in the middle of everything, Jesus pulls these guys aside, and suddenly he's like, like shining and glorious and awesome like the sun. And, and there's, you know, there's, you know, people who are long dead who are heroes of the faith, and, and they're there, and we don't know what to make of it. Well, there are three things that come out of this. First of all, make sure I don't miss one. I actually made notes on this. Um, first of all, this is a bit of proof about who he is. Right? I mean, like, Jesus all this time has been claiming, I am the Son of God. Like, in that little bit before, like in chapter 8, there's this story where Peter says, you know, Jesus says, well, who do people say I am? And then Peter says, well, some people say Elijah, and some people say this person, some people say that person. And Jesus says to him, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, like, in the next scene, we see proof that this is true. Right? And that's a pretty big proof. I mean, somebody, like, rises up in the air and starts shining and glorious and their angels singing and their, like, dead prophets around them. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a solid ID card right there, right? Um, and so it's proof that his claim is true. Um, it's a reassurance because they're about to watch Jesus get crucified, which is really discouraging. I mean, you think, well, I've been following this guy for years and I've just seen him, like, publicly executed. It might scatter you as followers. It might convince you that, like, hey, maybe I should go back to the old stock and trade here. Because, like, maybe he wasn't who I thought he was. But they saw this thing that ends up being a reassurance of the things that God has done. Like, or is about to do. Like, who Christ is. And then finally, finally, now watch this. Because in the previous section, right before we got to this, in verse 1, it says, uh, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, some of you will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come in power. And so what we're seeing is, 
what they've been revealed is the kingdom of God coming in power, right? Which is a precursor. It's like a coming attraction. You guys ever do that? Like you watch movies and, and you think about watching a movie and you'll put on the, the preview or the trailer and you watch it and they show you like all the funny parts, you know, or all the cool action parts and then you're done like, oh my gosh, I've seen it. I really want to see this movie now. Um, this is This is the trailer. This is the beginning. This is, hey, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like this only times a million, right? He's going to be glorified. There's going to be prophets that are raised from the dead. There's going to be Moses, and there's going to be this, and there's going to be that. And it's going to be amazing, and everybody is going to see this, and they're going to be blown away by it. So Peter has, is referring to this like story. He's saying, listen, we have seen Christ come in his glory. He received honor and glory from God. This is 17 to 18. He received honor and glory from God, the Father who, or when the voice came from him, came to him from the majesty. All right, let me try that again and do it without screwing it up. He received honor and glory from God, the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we, were, when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter says, listen, you got these teachers around you right now saying, Jesus is never coming back. Do whatever you want. Right? It's a little like being kids at home. Do you guys ever, when you were young, like your parents left you home alone? And before you know it, you're like setting fire to the rug. And doing all the stuff you're really not supposed to do because they're not there to supervise you. Um, and you start thinking, well, we can get away with this forever. I, I'm thinking of John specifically because I'm sure John and his brothers probably did stuff like this all the time when they were home alone. Um, and, and the thought is, oh, he's never coming back. He's never coming back. We can do whatever we want. And Peter stops and he says, Jesus is coming back. I saw what it's going to look like. I saw the trailer. I saw the preview, and when Jesus comes back, it is going to be something. Don't think you're going to get away with him not coming back. The test day is going to show up, right? The day that everything comes due is going to happen. You will stand before Christ. Don't think you're going to get away from this. And Peter says, listen, it's important to remember you will face Jesus. This is a major, major teaching from Christ. We also, so Peter having made this first point, Jesus is coming back. We're witnesses of him. We're witnesses of what he did. Um, And we're witnesses of the precursor, the trailer of what's coming. And then he goes on. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns, until the morning star rises in your hearts. This is such a great little text And I'm going to tell you why. He says, look, we saw this, but there's also the scriptures. Go in the Old Testament, start reading, have a look at what's there. And it's pretty much promised that God's going to set the world right. It's pretty much promised that God's kingdom is going to come and like do away with evil. It is over and over and over again promised to you that this is going to happen. We have been promised that Christ is coming back. Christ himself prophesied, I am coming back. Actually, if you read Acts 1, I decided to cut it from the sermon so it's not in here. But like in Acts 1, there's this great spot where Christ ascends into heaven. He rises up and the people of Galilee are looking and they're watching him rise up and a cloud covers him. And angels show up and they're like, what are you guys looking at? Don't worry, he'll show up again in the same way he left. 
like basically what we saw in the transfiguration. It'll come down from the clouds and the whole world's going to be aware. Everybody's going to know. And like it's going to be in glory and we're all going to see it. And so Peter says, listen, there are prophets who predicted this. I saw it with my own eyes. Between these two things, pay attention. Nothing anybody says about Jesus not coming back is true. He's coming. You will not get away from that. You will face him. You will stand before him. You will answer to him. You will see him in glory. It is an amazing thing, and it is coming. As to a light shining in a dark place. Um, anybody ever? So I had this uh, challenge that, that I did recently as a part of a health thing I'm doing where they're trying to make you sleep better. And the, the challenge was make your room pitch black. Anybody ever tried to do that? Like, I'm pretty sure I could just cover my eyes and do a better job, like lay under a blanket, because you got to, like, every little crease of the window will let in a tiny little bit of light. And the darker it is, the more that tiny little light is really bright. There's a single LED bulb on the charger for my watch, and it's on all the time. And I got my room pitch black one night, and I'm laying there, and I rolled over, and I realized that this corner of the room is a tinge blue. You know why? It's that one stupid LED light. Because if there's any light in the room at all, you're going to see it. And what Peter's saying is, listen, you guys are living in a dark world. And by the way, this has not changed, right? It seems like every other week you turn on the TV and somebody shot up another place, right? It seems like you you turn on the TV every other week and somebody else has done something horrible or people are fighting in the streets in this city or in this country there's this thing that happened like and there might be a war or over here these people are corrupt and evil and they're doing these things. I mean, it's everywhere. We live in a dark world. And we don't even have to go out of here to see it, right? We can see it like down the street from our house. It is everywhere. People get sick. People die way too young. People steal and they lie and they mistreat us and they betray us. Like it is everywhere. And Peter is saying, listen, as to a light shining in a dark place, like look to these messages. Look to what I'm telling you. Look to what the prophets told you because as dark as the world is, this stuff gets brighter, right? I used to say all the time, and I haven't said it in long enough actually, it's, the darker the world around us, the brighter the light of the cross, the brighter the light of what Christ did for us. And Peter's saying, listen, Christ died for your sins. All you have to do is have faith in him and you're saved. And he's coming back to get you. He has not abandoned you. You might feel left behind. You might feel alone. You might feel abandoned. But Christ still loves you and Christ is still coming back. And that is the light we have in the darkness. Over and over and over again. That's the light we have. I have a good friend on Twitter. He's a pastor. And every time he comes across one of these horrible news stories, he'll share it. And he'll say, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Because it's the light we're, we're promised. As bad as the world is, Christ will redeem it. Part of how he redeems it is through us and our lives now. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. Like our job is to spread his kingdom. It's to feed. It's to bring justice. It is to make the wrong things right. It is to like serve as God's voice in the world around us. His hands and his feet and his everything. Like we are to be Jesus to the world around us. Share his gospel. Bring people into salvation like the whole nine yards. We're part of that light. But ultimately we're just projecting that light out of us. Christ is coming back. He will set it all right.
As the morning star rises in your hearts, I had to look this up. The morning star refers to Venus. Um, does anybody know astronomy at all? I know Dwayne does. Uh, Venus is a star, or it's not a star, it's actually a planet, I'm sorry. Venus is a planet that is visible right before sunrise. And it is brightest, low in the horizon, right before sunrise. And it is, in the ancient world, they would call it the morning star, and you would see it, and it was an indication that the day was coming. Right? And so what Peter's saying is, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, So come back to this promise over and over again. Come back to what we saw. Come back to the fact that Christ is coming in glory over and over and over and over again until the day comes that that little bit of light becomes visible and the sun breaks the horizon and Christ returns and the world is made right and the broken are healed and the hungry are fed and the weeping are comforted. Like, that is coming. And... It's, it's a huge deal. Like, we need to hold this in our heart. That light is there. It's coming. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a weird little text again, and it took a lot of untangling. There are a couple of different interpretations of it. The one I'm going to present here is I think Peter is kind of defending his take on things. He's defending what he had to say. He's saying, listen, prophecy comes from God. Like the Holy Spirit brings prophecy into the world. Nobody who can stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, says it on their own power. God is speaking through them. If somebody correctly interprets prophecy like Peter does from time to time, Right, And like he's just done with this event that he saw the transfiguration, that comes from the Holy Spirit too. And so it's not as though this ha- Jesus said this, Peter interpreted it blank. It's the Holy Spirit spoke through Christ. The Holy Spirit spoke through Peter. The Holy Spirit spoke through Elijah, and then he spoke through Peter. The Holy Spirit spoke through, and so all of this is coming from God, like the prophecy that we received and the interpretation we received. So this promise that Christ is coming back, that the world will be made right, that the broken will be made okay, like this is all the Holy Spirit. And so don't worry about like, oh, well, Elijah was just some guy. Daniel was just some guy. No, he was speaking on the Holy Spirit's behalf. The Spirit spoke through him. And we know these truths because the Spirit spoke through him. There's a whole can of worms attached to that we're not going to get into. Um, about, well, did, is he a teletype? You know, did he just take dictation? Or, you know, that's, it doesn't really matter. The main idea here is um, the Holy Spirit spoke through these guys. And we're given this promise. And that sun is coming up. So this is right at the end of Jesus' time on earth. I'm going to detour here. Actually, we'll do this last section. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. So Jesus is saying, listen. If you're a servant of the master and the master puts you in his household and he says, feed everyone while I'm gone, it'll be good if you're doing your job when he shows up, right? Like if your job is to make sure that everybody in the house is getting fed, you better do it. So my wife goes somewhere and my job is to wash and feed the kids. When she comes home, what do I have to have done? I better have washed and fed the kids or else fire's raining from the sky, right? 
and rightfully so. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that a servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to the place with the hypocrites where there'll be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And he says, listen, so we're given this responsibility. We're saved. We're brought into the family and we're given like charges and we're given responsibilities. Our job is to do it. My job in college was to study Greek. You know what I didn't do? I didn't study Greek, and I couldn't fake it in the last minute. I meet folks who know a lot about Christianity, who've read the Bible and can tell you anything, but their hearts and their lives don't reflect it. And there's going to be a day where cramming for that test ain't going to save them. Because Christ is coming back to like to say, hey, what have you done with my people? Is there people I'm responsible for? There are people I'm here to serve and to, to take care of and, and to watch out for. And I'm going to answer for that. Um, Peter, in his letter, is addressing people who are saying, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus ain't coming back. Do whatever you want. But they're leading people in a bad direction. They're leading people in a direction that will ultimately lead to destruction. My challenge for you today, like, what do we do with this? My question for you is, Are you living like he's actually going to come back? I mean, this is really similar to what I said last week, right? Because last week I was talking about Peter saying, hey, I'm going to die one day, but don't worry. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, following Christ. I'm doing the job and everything else. And my question was, hey, if you're called to account tomorrow, like, are you ready? And the question is, if Christ is coming back, is he going to find his world in order? Or is he going to find us trashing our neighbors? As you can find us saying nasty things about people we don't even know because they're different than us or because they believe different than us or because of whatever. Like, is he going to find us sharing the gospel and being Christ to the world? Is he going to find us stabbing each other in the back because we don't like that guy's opinion about this in the church or that guy wants to do this in the church and I don't agree? Like, what's he going to find? Um, All of us will stand before Christ. And I think Peter's fundamental focus here, his big message is, Don't forget this promise is true. Don't forget there's light in the darkness. When things seem broken, he's coming back. He'll save us. It's it's coming. It's coming, brothers. But the question is, are we walking like he's coming back or are we forgetting it? Are we saying, I can do this tomorrow. I can do it next week. I can do it next month. I'll get to it eventually. And then one day he'll show up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot to learn like the language. I forgot to learn Greek. I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. I'm going to close in prayer and, and I'll let you all be. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you would help us to be people who, um, who look like Jesus to the world around us. Lord God, help us to be people who um, train and walk in your way so that we can look more and more like you. Help us to be men who treat our wives like like Christ calls us to. Help us to be um, brothers and sisters who watch out for, for the, you know, the folks around us who are hungry or thirsty or, or abused or whatever, Lord. Help us to be people who are Christ in those situations. And most of all, help us to be people who talk about Jesus with the people we encounter. Like, help us to, to be people who are honest and real about, like, Christ died for me. He's coming back. Pay attention. Um, help us to be people of your word and your will. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday. Did my clipboard make it all the way around?